Welcome to At Home with Danae and Marisa, Uncorking Seattle Area Real Estate. We'll uncork the tips and tricks behind the bustling real estate scene in the greater Seattle area. I'm Danae, your mortgage lender. And I'm Marisa, your real estate broker. And together, we're your go-to guides for navigating the ever-changing landscape of buying and selling homes. Join us as we pour insight, share tips, and raise a glass to the exciting journey of buying and selling in the heart of the Pacific Northwest. Here we are, episode two. Episode two. Episode two. All right, let's dive into wine first. We're going to talk about our weekends, a little market update, and then you're going to launch into step one of the buyer process. Beautiful. So I have a Cabernet Franc, which is my absolute favorite. I just, I love the spicy, the pepperiness. Like, I just, I love that. This is Mazzacano Cellars from Wit. W-I-T, all capitalized, Wit Cellars. You're going to help you. We went there, it was just real good. So um, I've already opened this, so no dramatic, <laughs> no dramatic matter at of the cork. Um, so, yeah, what did you do this week? Uh, Saturday, Saturday, I did a favorite things party. I went to a little friend. I talked to Sadie in the morning. Yeah. Um, and then, what's your favorite, the bottle looks like. Which your favorite things party, which really fun. And then Sunday, we went to the driving range with my parents and husband and daughter. Two-year-old loves, loves being out there. It was freezing, but yeah, it's crazy. her and my dad stayed inside for a lot of it and hung out. And then just had a lazy, quiet afternoon and watched the movies. She was watching watch you movies, so. Yes. Great to yeah. win. Yeah. How about you? Cheers. Um, Let's try this. She's good. It's good. Yeah. yeah, it's not too, it has a sweetness to it. So I don't need to like a It's a little bit sweeter than I would prefer for a cup. See, I like that. You do. Okay. I don't like the spicy peppery. Really? I love the peppery and the dryness. That's my favorite. This doesn't feel, this feels a way more fruit forward to yes. me. And like the pepperiness is in the back. Like, I would, I would agree yeah. with that. I would, this is my type of cat from. Okay. Well, it's not mine, but I'm still enjoying Would you, you guys, sweet? What did I do weekend? Well, um, I'll kind of like reverse engineer the weekend. Yeah. Cause then we could like launch into work related things. But um, we had our best friends for, for dinner and game night. Games. Um, our kids are like five months apart, boy and girl. Same girls like same ages. Literally same ages, just nine months apart. She was pregnant, or excuse me, she had her kids. I was pregnant with kids. So my like, best friend, friend yeah. that same thing, nine months apart. And it works out great. It's like, it's normal. Yeah. So um, that was really fun. And then yesterday, um, Bestie and her daughter came over that our sons hung out with husband. And then my nine-year-old got her ears pierced. Oh, crazy. Yeah. She was so brave. She did so good. I mean, the piercer was like, she was, yeah. yeah. Like, she barely flinched. Yeah. Yeah. And they're like, so cute. She's, she's wearing jeans. She, I think it's the aim with this. She looks just yeah. like rainbowy to the vagina. Um, and then, you know, I got four piercings myself. So <laughs> I was going to say, when I got my ears pierced, I remember my mom had to call in her sister to help support her. I was, oh, okay. That doesn't sound like it was your case. You were fine. You were like, oh, no, really? There's a picture of my daughter holding my hands while I'm getting up here. So, so. <laughs> that's always worse for the, the parents. Yeah, yeah. So I got my nose done against And then I got, it's called the coach. Oh, like, oh yep. Yeah, I don't want to Yeah, it hurts real bad. And then I got my second 
earlobes. So anyway, I um, really don't recommend horses at the same time yeah. for sleep. Yeah. But so even on fire, they're thirty. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Very nice. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So anyway, um, that was my weekend. But then, kind of reversing back, I wrote two offers last week. Showed a lot of homes, a couple pre inspections. So pre inspection is where you are hiring an inspector to go out and um, do an inspection verbally without the big report. Okay. So do they not give any sort of report? Nope. I don't think you well, they verbally tell you what's wrong yeah. with the house, but they don't like it's a cost savings to the buyer because it's a competitive market and you're going and you're um you're offering on multiple homes potentially. You know, there's low inventory. You don't want to pay five, six hundred dollars every single time to get yeah. a report. So it's like a two hundred dollar savings for you to just have a verbal inspection. Yeah. So anyway, um so I had a couple of those and then two very competitive offer scenarios like i don't know what happened last week but all of a sudden it is competitive and i don't know if this is going to stay only time will tell but first scenario nine offers and my folks i mean it, it just sucks because my buyers put their heart and their soul into their offers they're not just offering because they're like oh let's see what happens it's like they want the house yeah right so anyway, um, they got yeah, nine offers, cash in us out. And then second offer, I wrote four offers on the table and another cash offer, beat us out. So that stinks. Do you, we'll kind of get more into this probably, yeah, this would be this episode of kind of pre-approval process and ways to, yeah, to uh, increase your pre-approval standing or whatnot uh don't really love those words but are you seeing that like do you think this one were your buyers tbd approved do you think a tbd approval would have had any impact on the cash or these no sometimes i see that they do but well cash is cash is cash like cash is cash but i think that the issue is that my buyers don't want to wait financing right now because well yeah i don't want to be up financing and then the appraisal comes back low the appraiser's having a bad day yeah and then the appraisal comes back lower and then you have to come up difference just price 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 yes. so in both of my offers my clients put what's called an appraisal shortfall so here's the amount that i'm willing to pre-negotiate with you seller and say if the appraisal comes back low i will pay up to x amount yeah on top of that it's like pre-negotiated done you know seller there are potentially a couple of scenarios where they could back out um but they probably would not be wise to do that because they need to go back to market explain why you went back on the market so that's for another episode but yeah you know yeah both of my i think an appraisal episode is like oh key. an episode in itself and it's key to have that conversation yes. because i had two low appraisal scenarios last year won them both so that was great. Yeah. Was but fun. it was like, oh, this is new. Yeah. I think I was the one with you. Yeah. One for real. Yeah. yeah. With you, it's my first. Yeah. And then I had another one in November. Yeah. And the shifting of markets, we're kind of going a little bit off topic. Yeah. But the shifting of markets when when competition increases, the first part of it is when we see mobile. Because I always say there's an emotional value and a calculation. Yeah value and appraisers have to go on the calculation value yeah they're not emotional exactly so it's like they're looking at it's fat yeah. you know when you start seeing this this competitive market start to increase is where you really have to protect yep. or be ready to come in with the difference of the appraisal so I, well i think we do a we 
that is included in a full episode, like a episode with other things, but I think we need to really break that one out in, in itself. There's, there's so many pieces to it, but basically what I'm trying to do as my client's broker is like, worst case scenario, will it happen? And yeah. one of the ways that I can track them is by pre-negotiating in, in an appraisal shortfall. Hey, this is the max that I'm willing yeah. to go. And I just helps if that's near it. Yeah, and it does have like that, having that appraisal shortfall helps immensely um, if there were no cash offers. Yeah. Even I think listing agents, the one that I talked to last week, she was like, well, I, I just, I don't like wage financing. I just don't like it because you're not proving to me that you have cash to cover a shortfall. So does Jim Bryce the shortfall? If the appraisal contingency is still in there, that will counteract the findings. So it's like, I, I, yeah. As a lender, I like that an agent doesn't like the financing contingency. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't, regardless of how confident I am in the mm -hmm. buyer's pre approval, right. I'm still never going to tell an agent, yes, I love the idea of waiting yeah. financing. Yeah. But no, it's like you're having a deep conversation. Yeah. I don't you really, you're, you're in your person. You really have to understand the pros and cons. And sometimes there is a pro. Yeah. So, well, let's dive into like the someone, they typically call the real estate agent first. Yeah. That's the fun part, right? No one wants to give <laughs> all of that financial information and talk about the, the, the large amount of debt that they go into. So they typically call the real estate yeah. agent first. So what is... Someone gives you a call. What? How do you start the process? Yeah. So, oftentimes buyers are being introduced to me by one of my past clients or like a referral partner, like that's like in a part of the country. Um, typically, that's like an email or a text, more often an email. And what I do is I'll just reply and say, "Thank you so much for introducing me, um, buyer. Let's schedule a time to do a Zoom." Um, you know, in the next like week or two, I'll list out, hey, here's my availability. I'm happy to do nights. I get it. Like, got kids. Night works better after the kids go to sleep. I have kids myself. I get it. So I, I try to be really flexible with that. And it's basically an hour long chat of me getting to know you, you getting to know me. And even before that call, I have my client or my potential client, the buyer, fill out a Google form questionnaire. So it's, I think it's like, I want to say it's like 12 questions, but it's basically just giving me good information as to like how ready you are to write an offer on a house. Like if on a scale of one to 10, you're a 10, oh my gosh, I found the house. Obviously, we need to push up that call closer. Yeah. Closer. Yeah. They're sooner rather than later. So, uh, but if they're, yeah, if they're like a five, they're like, you know, I'm, I'm getting started. Like, yeah, the right house came along. Like, okay, now I know that time is as, as, that scenario. Also, like, I I try to get permission from them to connect them with what I buy for lenders. Um, kind of try to get to know, um, you know, are they signed with another agent? If we'll talk about that, but that's a new thing this year is if you have an exclusive agreement with another agent, I really am not supposed to be talking to you, and I won't talk to you because I'm not going to breach your contract with that other agent. So, um, gives me really good feedback, so I review that, um, and then. What we do is we will in that hour consult just get to know each other you can ask me questions often the buyer is leading the conversation um what questions they have what they're worried about that's one thing that i have in the questionnaire is like what are you worried about in this process and then also the last question i have is name three things that you want to talk about in our call 
Because I want it to be very focused in like an hour of like what you want out yeah. of the conversation. Yeah. Um, so we do that. And then during that call, we do review the BBSA, <laughs> Buyer Brokerage Services Agreement. And it is a new, used to have a lot of real estate agents pamphlet. Well, now it's real estate brokerage in Washington State. So this is what that looks like right here. It is four pages. It is it really boils down our duties as agents to our clients and also to our, to our buyers and our sellers in layman's terms. The previous pamphlet was just very worried and um, had a lot going on with it. Yeah. And then we also go over the buyer uh, brokerage services agreement. So basically what that is, is January 1st of this year, the Department of Licensing really in Washington state really wants us as buyer brokers to have a contract signed with our buyers. We have never had this before. I mean, sure, there was like a buyer agency agreement. I would say most brokers didn't have those signed. I never did because I felt like, well, I don't want to lock someone into working with me if they don't feel comfortable with me. Like, I, I just, I don't feel good about that. Like, I want there to be a good rapport with my client. And so I just never felt like to do that. But with the National Association of Realtors, lawsuits, Department of Justice, like all this stuff regarding compensation. The main thing that DOL is trying to get after is making it very clear to buyers um, how we as brokers are compensated and just just increasing transparency. And I think it's been a really, really good thing. I was just talking to a couple of broker brokers here in my office. And I'm like, I love this. I disagree, Matt. I love it. I think that how we both get paid mm -hmm. is people are always asking. Yeah. Um, Has there we, really been like a conversation that exactly have? Exactly. Yeah. Unless, unless, unless you're the seller, you don't see, like there's, I don't get paid from a check. You don't get paid from a check from the, from the client. The seller just has proceeds taken out and mine's built into the back end of loans yeah. like that. Um, so I think it's good to have that. Yeah. I think it, the increase in transparency is rates for industry and with sellers i had to have a listing agreement signed yeah to ratify how i was compensated my duties to the client yeah. and vice versa so why wouldn't we have one on our side yeah so i'm loving this honestly and there's two kind of pieces to the buyer brokerage services agreement i'm going to refer to it as bbsa now on because that's just full with them. So there's two types of agreements that you can have, a non-exclusive and an exclusive. So non-exclusive is think of it as you're dating the broker. You're not quite solidified on whether or not they're your person, right? But maybe you're, you want to test the waters and see if they're the right person for you. The non-exclusive agreement is the minimum contract that you need to have in place to receive broker services. So if you want to go see a house, you have to have a non-exclusive site at least. So that literally, that only the person that writes an offer and gets you to closing is going to be compensated in a non-exclusive and also an exclusive as well. The exclusive is I am hiring you, Marisa Holm, as I should point to myself. Yeah. I am hiring you, Marisa Holm, to be my real estate broker. I am only going to have you write offers and show me properties, that sort of thing. So that is something that we review in the Zoom. Um, I know that's a lot. Hopefully I dumped it down. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's something that like, 
they can start out with a uh, yeah a non-exclusive yeah, you can. and then they're like hey no i like you yeah. exclusive then switch it to exclusive if they start with an exclusive they can get out of it right not not necessarily if your term ends okay. in an exclusive agreement yes but there is what's called a tail provision for 60 days okay. where if you go write an offer with another broker within that 60 day period technically i could potentially go after a compensation so am i going to do that probably not i really don't want to be involved in law foods like yeah. that or anything but that that i mean it is a legal document you should consult with so someone if someone came to you and said hey marisa yeah my friend used you i liked you i i have this exclusive agreement with with this other agent mm-hmm I want to cancel it. Um, what, what would what would be the conversation at that point? It's a great question. Okay. So I cannot. This is all these yeah. So that's fair. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's yes. a great question. I think it will be absolute questions. Um, I cannot. I cannot give you advice. That's fair. Okay. So if you want to cancel your agreement with that broker, you need to have a conversation with them. With them. That's all I'm going to say. Or I just let me, let me, can you terminate the agreement? Yes, you yes. can. And you would just have to wait 60 days. Potentially, depending on their tail vision. Okay. Depending on what's right. It's an exclusive agreement. Yes. Okay. Yes. So technically, like, again, th- these are all legal documents. Yeah. You should consult an attorney. Yes. Do people do that? No. But I just want to throw that just to me. That's good. This learner is that like I re- I really have to be yeah. on certain things. That's why I will never say like direct rates or anything sure. like that because that's a whole slew of trouble I could get in. Yeah, I, so, I, I don't want to yeah. get trouble either. Exactly. So yeah. Okay. This is a legal document. This isn't. It yeah. doesn't like. It's all, if this isn't a piece of paper that's like. No. This is so real. If someone wants to get out of their exclusive agreement. Have a conversation with that person with with the broker, potentially with a lawyer, maybe not with a lawyer. Uh, maybe just with the broker. I mean, depending on how they, they react. I mean, if your agent, if you're telling your agent, hey, I don't feel like this is for me, and they're not letting you out of the contract. Yeah. That's their yeah. Yeah. Which I think it go further into that. I think that's a whole timing on that. Like, yeah. I think it's something also just that's for listeners, like this is something that is new. There's going to be a lot of questions, right? And there's going to be questions from the clients, yeah, from the agents, from the lenders. There's just going to be a ton of questions, and some we're all going to know. Some are going to be new as with anything, anything new. Yep. There's going to be questions that have to be found. So, yeah. So, going kind of going back to, can you amend the agreement? Yes, you can. Yeah. So. Here's where I'm kind of going with my buyers. At the end of that call, we can go one of two ways. One is you're like, yep, you're my person. I'm going to sign an exclusive agreement with you, Marisa. Like, you are going to represent. I think that's probably for the client who, you know, they're best friends with one of my past clients. I'm like, oh my gosh, why would I go anywhere else, yeah. right? There's going to be other part, other buyers that, you know, maybe they they just feel like they need to do, to do their due diligence and ensure that that broker yeah. is the right person for them and i don't blame them because this is not monopoly this is your real life yeah you are paying a lot this is probably the biggest purchase you might ever make in your life and i get it you need to make sure that you trust that person that's free. so um anyway we can go the non-exclusive route where basically what i'm calling it is my trial bike tour so we 
we're going to get you pre-approved first, which you're going to dive into that in a sec. But we're going to get you pre-approved with a lender of your choosing. And then I have recommendations, though. She's a great one. <laughs> you're going to get pre-approved. And then we're going to schedule a date where I pick three properties based off of your filling out my fire workbook. Okay. And we're going to have this as part of the show notes for you to download. But basically, this is like your wants, needs, deal breakers, that sort of thing, areas, the desired amenities that you want in a home, that sort of thing. So based on your workbook that you fill out for me, I'm going to pick three homes. Some, I might be pushing the edges. Like if you say, oh, I'm okay with the fixer-upper, I'm going to make sure you're okay with the fixer-upper because the definition of a fixer-upper to one person is completely just wildly different than another person. So, uh, and then I want you to pick two properties that you're interested in. And what we're going to do is we're going to spend about three hours together actually touring homes together so that you can get a feel for my advice during tours. Um, you can ask me all the questions you want in person. Obviously, it's like me in person. It's not my personality. Um, and then after that point, if you're like, okay, Grace is it, then we upend that non-exclusive agreement into an exclusive. And then from that point, I will then solely be dedicated to your success. If you're like, hey, thank you so much. You're not for me. Great. We'll part ways and I will go and serve my other clients that, that I'm serving. Yeah. So those are kind of the two different routes. Backing up a little bit though, you need to get there. Yeah. The more, or you even go out there. Before you go out and tour homes, I'm not going to go show you homes until you are pre-approved. So tonight, take it over on the pre Yeah. So <laughs> kind of like when people reach out to you, you get an email, liner to the emails introduction from the agent. That's how you do it. Or sometimes they'll give you a call, text or something like that. Sure. And I, I usually start out with a quick five to 10 minute front call to get an idea of their goals, their situation and what they're looking for, all that. You know, I kind of ask like, what's your max purchase price or what's, what's your target purchase price? What's your total cash to close number? Um, like dollar amount up there that they have what's their max comfort and monthly payment like they find the perfect home what is the absolute max and not to a way to push them there but just to show them their options um kind of get an idea of how they would describe their income and employment get an idea from where their their cash close is coming from just a quick overview of it and then at that time, I send them a follow-up email with a link to my application, as well as a handful of documents needed. Um, 30-day pay stubs, W-2s, tax returns if they're self-employed, and bank statements. Um, and then they fill out the application, and then I review everything. That's where I pull credit. Yep. Um, Talk to us about credit a little bit, because people, I find, get really worried about hard pulls. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about how, how yeah. that works. So hard pulls aren't as scary as they No, they're, they're not. Those this was before I was in like before the crash, before all the reforms happened. Yeah. Um my understanding of what it was and why people are so scared of it is like one pull water to the credit. Like it not to down for twenty points. They the bureaus want people 
to allow for shopping, yes. whether it's credit cards, car loans, mortgages, whatever, they want to allow for it. So they want to allow for people to get their credit pulls. Um, so yeah, maybe like a couple points from a credit pull, but really where you'll see an, an impact is if you are shopping for a car, if you are applying for credit cards, like if you do a ton of credit shopping. Are you talking about like multiple different types of credit? Yes, or, or when you're like going to get a car loan. Sure. There, I I saw one person with, they didn't have great credit, so it was gonna be harder for them to get a car loan, but there was like 30 credit pulls. Oof. So my advice to people who are are shopping for a car loan, make sure you talk to them at the at the car dealership and say like, don't shop on my credit. I want a specific, this specific one or like, please only start with one. And if like the terms, if they think terms can be better on a different one, then you can go from there. But like, don't shotgun gotcha. credit for, for the car loan. Um, that being said, if you are, if you are applying for a hard pull, something that needs a hard pull, if you do it within a few days at the multiple lenders, it counts as, okay. Um, did you hear that? Repeat that again. So if you're, if you're shopping, if you're shop if you're shopping mortgage lenders, have everyone do a hard pull within a couple of things and all other of each other. Yep. Um, because that will allow for you'll still have like multiple line items for each other people left it, but the bureaus look at it as one. Okay. So and here's what I'm gonna say. It is way better for you as the buyer client to finalize your lender before we go out and shop homes. Yes, don't okay. do it when you're under contract. You, and we'll talk about this probably three, two, three episodes from now. There is so much coming at you after you get in contract with a seller that those first three, four days that you are literally gonna thank me that you did not have to shop three, four different lenders yeah. at that time. Yeah. Because you're having to like replicate each loan application, each documents, all, all the things, and having to submit that multiple times. And then you also have to do your earnest There's just so many things happening that first day. Just do it before, and just do it. Before. And the lender can sometimes, oftentimes, yeah. have an impact on your offer. Oh yeah. So it's, I know I talk to listing agents and there's some that will tell me like, I accepted their offer because you were responsive because yes. you know, all that type of stuff. So it's also, you know, keep keeping that, that faith in the offer that you put. Totally. Um, and just word of advice, just try to stay there from the big banks. Okay. And if you are insistent on using one of the bigger national banks, I advise you to test that relationship, okay? Call them at 8.30 at night. Call them on a Saturday. Call them on a Sunday. Do they pick up their phones? Because often we are writing offers at night and on the weekends. Yeah. And if I can't get a hold of your lender because we need to have them run numbers or we need an updated pre-approval letter and I can't get that for you, that can be to your detriment. Yeah, you can lose them And that would suck. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> so local lender local lenders are preferred by yeah. agents. Exactly. Um and you know, I I can do most of my job off my cell phone. So I am always available. Yeah. Um but back to credit. I can actually do soft pull credit on conventional loans. On most conventional loans. I'm not gonna go on like, well, just like touch me yeah. on what I'm not actually loan. Yeah. So a conventional loan is is the um 
I don't want to say standard. It's a it's a loan that most people know about. Yeah. It has private mortgage insurance. It's more it's more privatized in a sense. Um it is backed by Fannie and Freddie who are Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, who are government entities. But that's more of like the security of the loan. Um and the security of the bank, like if the bank goes under, your loan's not gonna get lost. Like maybe, it, maybe look at it as like it's kind of one of the more standard loans. Yes, more look yeah, at yes. That's what people when people think about it, they think about yeah. a conventional loan. Sure. Um and so for any name, Freddie Mac doesn't allow for for the softball, but any name, which I do most of my loans for Fannie Mae. Okay. I like their outlines the best. Guidelines are very similar, but slightly different. For sure. So there's certain times we have to go Freddie. And in that case, we be okay. Utilize softball, but I always start with softball. Um, and I can do a full pre approval. Okay. Um, and then uh, the government backed loans of VA, USDA, and FHA, I can't. But for your conventional loan, I can do a soft pull. So it's, you know, there's, there's not a hard pull until you get under contract. Okay. And then let's bust the down payment. Question. Yeah. How much? Don't need 20%. Don't need 20%. Don't need 20%. Okay. It really depends on the, on the loan program. Um, so conventional is anywhere from three to 5% down, depending on, um, that's the low. That's the lowest. Yeah. Um, depending on first time home buyer and a few other different yeah. um requirements, it's three to five percent down. I, and then FHA, FHA there is, is three and a half percent down. Sometimes you can get it down small. Yes. That well, same with conventional, but that okay. is right. that is a separate law. Okay. So the first loan still requires three and a half percent down. Right. But there's a sign of the second that you can get for both conventional and yeah. and um FHA. And I have helped multiple clients with the zero down payment. A CLS program get into homes as first time home buyers and it is incredible. Often they had no cash out of pocket to get home. And then, you know, other times I was able to get a seller paid credit to um, help offset. I think, I think there are certain situations that those down payment assistants are phenomenal. Yeah, it's not for everyone. If you have a down payment, though, it's going to incredibly change your interest rate. Right. So that's where, like, I always tell people, like, don't use this just because you can't. You still have to pay that back. Yeah. Um, but there are situations that it allows people to have homeownership. Um, so yeah, there's ways to have the out of pocket be be nothing or yeah. or minimal, but um the conventional is three to five, FHA is three and a half percent down. USDA has a very strict income as well as location limit, but that is a zero down program as well. And I really like that as a zero down if you can qualify. Um one of those. So pretty uncommon i was yes yeah in our area but there's there it is because the income limits low there are there are hard loan to qualify for based off the restrictions but it's a risky loan you know it's, it's zero down um and the they call it a guarantee fee which is essentially the mortgage insurance is very affordable on that one um and then there's VA, which is also a zero percent down. Obviously, you have to be a vet, have served, uh, but that's a that's a phenomenal program. Yeah, for vets as well. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Um, for kind of the overall timeline, um, 
you know, once I have that initial intake call, application fills out, um, you know, a pre-approval can be anywhere from a few hours to maybe a week. And it really just depends on how responsive the client is, how complicated the income is. You know, if you're a W-2 salary employee, no credit issues, all of that, we're done within a couple hours. Yeah. Um, if you're self-employed, have a couple different business, have this, that, it may be a few different, a few days to kind of piece together and get full because that requires more orientation, get more more in depth of all of that. Um, but once we finish the pre-approval, I know I'll put together numbers that fit within the guidelines that um, the client kind of gives to me because a lot of the times what their max comfort is isn't what their max approval is. Um, so kind of put those together. And then at that point is when I typically like to meet up, uh, whether it's Zoom or in person, um, to then go through details of the different numbers, what are included in your total cash to close, and um, how how different mortgage, this different structuring of the mortgage can affect your payment, affect your cash to close. I always say a, a mortgage is not one size fits all. It's not, okay, here's, you have this, you have this worried insurance. There's so many different ways to input mortgage insurance and some, you know, just uh, different people's goals are, are different. Sometimes cash to close is flexible, but monthly payments really tight. So there's ways to kind of, or vice versa, there's ways to so I'll go through that, make sure we're on the same page of those initial scenarios because I don't want to give them 20, I want to give them three or four sure. and have them say, like that one, this is a little bit off, that's a little bit off. And then we come back with more to kind of, to kind of narrow it down. Um, and then at that point, I write to issue a pre-approval letter. Uh, Do you get a pre-approval letter if you feel like you can't close the lock? No. Okay. No. Great. <laughs> no, I am, I am very cautious of that because uh, it puts my name on. Not only does it put the client in a bad situation, it puts my name on yeah. the line. So I don't want to have, you know, a client go out and get under contract and then it's something that it's like, oh, I, I can't close this. I have never had a loan not closed because it's like, um, and, and you know, if, a, if that same agent gets my crew approval letter later, they're going to say, well, I don't know if it's valid or not. So I, that's why it's very important right? that, you know, not only for the clients, but also for my rep. I think as a client, I think it's really important to ask your lender that question. Have you ever had a loan not close? Yeah. Yeah. Whether they're honest or not. I, yeah, I, I, mean, I, I don't know if there's a way to yeah. that. Oh, yeah. I, don't, I mean, I think, you know, if they're stuttering, like, well, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, what you just said is so true. Like, you are putting yeah. on that pre-approval letter. Yeah. And if you can't close it, that's on you. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's the client, but you, you know, yeah. you were vetting that. You. Yeah. Yeah. I think that way. Exactly. It's there's certain things that, like, if the client doesn't tell me, I can't see until. Yeah. Whatnot, but um, so it's it's have and and what I always tell clients as well is I'm on the client side. I'm not on the bank side. I'm the middleman between the bank and and the client. Yes, I have to protect my my lender to make sure that like good loans go through and protect and that's really protecting all homeowners because that's what happened in the crash is bad loans were issued um but i want to know because most things will get dug out at some um and if you're not upfront about it to begin with they're gonna get dug up later 
and that's the choose to be honest. Be honest. <laughs> be honest. Be upfront. Um, some things I'll say, nope, that's not an issue. Don't need to worry about other things. It's like, okay, that could come up. So how do we get in front of it? Sure. Um, so be honest. Anything that you think could be an issue, let's talk. Like, yeah. Um, and then after, so I don't, I, I typically don't give the client a pre-approval letter, right? I'll say, hey, you're on the go, go connect with your AJ, go connect with Marisa to start your, you know, here's the fun part, go shop. Yeah. And then that's where, as you're writing offers, the agent will reach out to me, say, hey, we're we're offering 527. And I'll update a pre-approval letter with an updated date, with an updated uh, uh, purchase price amount. So it's very specific to that. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. So step one really is hire your agent, hire your lender. Yeah. That's that's really what step one is. Um, next episode, we are going to be talking about what happens when you're exclusively working with me, Marisa. Um, so we're going to review things like what happens when we're touring homes. We'll talk about my app that I use with clients. We'll talk about lender involvement in that process. And then also talk about CMAs and also reviewing seller documents for offering our property. So that's what's next. Yeah. Cheers to episode two. Thanks for joining us on another episode of At Home with Danae and Marisa Uncorking Seattle Area Real Estate. If you enjoyed our Uncorked Insights and want to stay connected, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Until next time, here's to finding your dream home and making every space truly your own. Cheers. Cheers.